Bible this morning. Turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to consider verses 10 through 14. I encourage you to be looking at a Bible with me, please. As I said, the previous weeks I was here, I'm a teacher preacher, so you need to be looking at a Bible with me. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Hear the Word of God. Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous one shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Let's ask the Lord to help us understand His Word. Let's pray together. Our Father who are in heaven, we are so thankful that we can loudly proclaim this day that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And we can proclaim that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we can proclaim that you, God, yourself did what the law could not do in that you offered Christ to die for our sins. So Father, we pray on the basis of what you have done for us in Christ. We ask that your Spirit would work in us this morning. We pray that you would reach down from heaven and awaken our hearts and our minds to your Word And use Your Word to transform our hearts so that we would live in conformity to the Gospel. God, help us. God, help me to preach Your Word faithfully to Your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why did Jesus die? There are many answers to that question. I want to give you at least three. One, he died for political reasons. If you remember from the Gospels, he entered into Jerusalem on a donkey and he preached anti-Jerusalem politics, basically. And he upset the Jews and he upset the Romans. He died for political reasons. But he also died for theological reasons. Two weeks ago, we noticed from Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, that Jesus died to display God's love 
And his death for us accomplished justification by faith, reconciliation with God, and salvation from God's wrath. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, Paul gives us another reason for which Jesus died. And he tells us that Jesus died to redeem us, to redeem Jews and Gentiles, to redeem all people who have faith in Him from the curse of the law so that He would give to those people the promised Spirit, promised to Abraham. Before I walk through the text with you, let me set Galatians in its particular historical context. As you all know, Galatians was one of Paul's earliest letters. and He wrote this letter to these Gentile Christians. And by Gentile, remember this is very important. If you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. doesn't matter if you're black or white or red or yellow. doesn't matter what country you're from. In Paul's world, a Jew was not a Gentile, and a Gentile was not a Jew. And he wrote this letter to Gentile Christians, those who were not Jewish but came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he sent this letter because there were some Jewish teachers who were teaching these Gentile Christians that they had to become Jewish to inherit the promises given to Abraham. That they had to get circumcised and they had to embrace the Mosaic law to be counted as the people of God. And Paul hears about this. And he writes this letter to tell these Galatian Christians that they don't need to become Jewish to be part of the people of God, but rather they need to trust in Christ, to keep trusting in Christ. In fact, Paul really puts it this way. He says to these Galatians, do not, do not turn away from my gospel. The gospel that centered on the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel that centered on Gentile inclusion within the promises of God, don't turn away from that gospel to embrace another gospel which is not really another gospel at all. Three things I want you to think about this morning with me from this passage. Number one, what Paul says to these Galatians. Number one, the law of Moses condemns everybody without exception. Number two, the law of Moses will not justify anybody no one can do enough to merit God's favor in the judgment. And number three, Jesus died to deliver, to redeem Jews and Gentiles from the curse of the law, to fulfill His promises, God's promises to Abraham. First truth, the law of Moses condemns everybody. Verse 10 is a shocking statement. Notice verse 10 with me in chapter 3. Paul begins verse 10 with the word for. It's a very important word. Because what he states in verses 10 and following connects with what he's previously stated in 3, 1 to 9. And here's what he stated. He asked a series of questions to get to one particular point. Namely, here's the question and here's the point. Gentiles. Did you receive the Spirit of God by faith or by works of law? 
The answer is, they received the Spirit by faith, verse 9, just like Abraham. And therefore they are children of Abraham, verse 9, by faith. You didn't receive the Spirit by works of law. You didn't receive the Spirit by means of keeping the law of Moses. But you received the Spirit by faith. Now here comes verse 10. Because, notice it with me. As many are from works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. This is a shocking statement. You know why? Because Paul says the opposite of what the verse he quotes actually says in the Old Testament. If you read, for example, Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, that verse promises a curse upon everybody that does not obey the law. In fact, you read Leviticus 18, verse 5, another verse that Paul cites in this passage. And Paul says, along with Leviticus, that the law promises life if you obey it. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses. Moses gives these curses, these pronouncements to Israel. He says, if you disobey God in the promised land, you will receive God's judgment. But if you obey God, you will receive His blessings. Did you notice what, what Paul said? Notice it again. He says, as many of you are from works of law or under a curse. But that's not what Deuteronomy says, is it? So here's the question. Paul, why do you conclude this interpretation from the verse? And here's the answer. Because the law promises life only to those who obey it perfectly. Here's the problem. No one can obey the law perfectly. Therefore, here's Paul's argument. If anyone, Jew or Gentile, relies upon the law of Moses as the means by which one enters into the family of God, one places himself under a curse. If you read Deuteronomy, Moses makes it very clear. The law expects you to obey it to the fullest. Which is one reason why Israel had to offer sacrifices of atonement when they failed. And they always failed. And they reminded themselves they failed every year at the Day of Atonement. When they offered atonement once a year for all of the sins committed by all of the people. Paul's making a very profound point here. I hope you feel the weight of this point. No Jew or Gentile. No American or what your country is, where your citizenship lies, no one is able to obey God to the degree that God demands, but rather everyone is, in fact, under a curse. If one is relying upon the law. Once again, if you read the Old Testament, you'll notice that the law really does promise life if you obey it. But do you know what the problem is? The problem is not with the law. Romans chapter 7, Paul says the law is what? It is good. It is holy. 
and it is perfect. The problem is not God. The problem is not God's law. The problem has always been the human heart. When the law entered into history, man's sin problem did not get better, but it got worse. Because when God gives sinners His law, you know what we do? We disobey God anyway. And as a result, the law condemns us. Paul says, therefore, as many are from works of law are under a curse. Are you trusting in yourselves this morning? Are you trying to do enough stuff to please God? Feel the weight of this this morning. There is nothing that you can do outside of faith in Christ to receive God's gracious favor in your life. For as many are of works of law are under a curse. You can't be justified by your American identity. You can't be justified by your racial identity. You can't be justified by your political identity. There's nothing that you bring that makes God say, oh, I think I will accept you now. As many are of works of law are under a curse. I promise the news gets better, but it's pretty depressing right now, right? There's no good news without bad news. Four applications from this verse. Jews and Gentiles, red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, all people are under the curse of the law apart from faith in Jesus. All people. And every person must rely upon not his or her own works, but upon Jesus Christ. If you want to be part of Abraham's family, if you want to be part of the family of God and, and benefit from those promises that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 18, we must trust in Christ. Here, for example, Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 to verse 29. Now remember, Paul is making a pretty tight argument in chapter 3. And the argument is this, the promises given to Abraham are fulfilled by means of Christ, not by means of observing the law of Moses. So he says this in verse 28 of chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now let me stop and explain this. He is not denying distinctions within the family of God. Just look around, for example. We don't all look the same this morning, do we? Some of us are bald or balding. Amen. Some or oh my. Some of us are young. Some are old. Some are male. Some are female. Some of us are representative of different ethnic identities. He's not denying distinction. He's affirming this. Your social identity your racial identity, your gender identity do not determine your identity in Christ. In Christ Jesus, everybody, in Christ Jesus, everybody is a child of Abraham. And then notice what he says in verse 29. He says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here's what the Galatians were hearing. 
They were hearing these ethnic Jews who seemed to be identifying with the Christian faith. They were hearing them tell them on Sunday, if you want to be part of the people of God, Jesus is great, but you've got to get circumcised. You've got to embrace the Mosaic law because that's what the Bible says, right? Now remember, God did not give his law to be a legalistic means by which Israel tried to earn her way to heaven. That's not the point of the law. God delivered Israel out of Egypt. And then after he graciously redeemed Israel, he gave Israel the law of God in order to separate the people of God from those who were not the people of God. And he made a covenant with Abraham way back in Genesis 12 and 15. And in chapter 17, that covenant was the sign of circumcision. And the sign of circumcision became part of Moses' law for the people of God. But Paul is making a very profound point in Galatians chapter 3. Once Jesus Christ enters into history, things change dramatically. The law is no longer the boundary marker. The law is no longer the badge of membership within God's people. But faith in Christ is. So feel that this morning. If you are a Christian today, brothers and sisters, you are not a second-class citizen within the people of God. It does not matter what your social identity is. You are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you belong to God. Second application. If we rely upon the works of the law, we will be condemned. Do you realize that? Our good works outside of faith in Jesus, will condemn us. You believe that? If you don't believe that, I don't think you understand the gospel. A person can live his or her entire life a morally upright person, but if that person dies without Jesus, his or her moralism will take him or her to hell. Because as many are from works of law are under a curse. If you're trusting in anything but Jesus, God expects perfection from you. Perfection from me. Third, oh yes, third, works are important for the Christian life, aren't they? I preached this two weeks ago. The Christian life doesn't simply expect good works, but demands them. In fact, I would say it this way. Paul would say, if we do not walk in the Spirit... We will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just read Galatians 5, verse 21. He talks about walking in the Spirit in 5.16 versus walking in the flesh. And then he says, before he mentions the fruit of the Spirit in 5.21, if we walk in the flesh, we will not inherit God's kingdom. Why? Because we don't have the Spirit, you see. So yes, good works are important for the Christian life, because our good works prove that we belong to Jesus. But here's the point I want you to, to hold on to from verse 10. Good works apart from faith in Jesus do not result in the kingdom of God. They result in death, eternal death. And fourth, application. With Christ Jesus... Because of his work for us, we are slaves of God. But outside of faith in Christ, we are slaves to the power of sin, and we are slaves to the power of the law. Just read on your own Galatians 4, verses 31 and following. 
Paul says that those who are outside of faith in Christ, who are under the law of Moses, particularly the Jews, but also Gentiles, those people without faith in Jesus are in bondage to slavery. Because the law is our master, and sin uses the law to condemn. But then he says in 5.1 that Christ freed us. You feel free today? If you are a Christian, Christ freed you from the power of sin from the power of the law's condemnation. You don't have to pack around the burden of sin anymore if you're in Christ because Jesus freed you from that. However, if you're not in Christ today, if you don't have faith in Jesus, the law is putting pressure on you. It condemns you. It makes you a slave, Paul says. That's the first truth I want you to see is that as many are from works of law or under a curse. Jew, Gentile, male, female, doesn't matter. Everyone under the law, everyone without faith in Jesus is condemned by the law. Second point. The law of Moses will not justify anyone. Good works will not justify anyone. Ethnic identity will not justify anyone. Your citizenship will not justify anyone because we're justified by faith in Christ. Look at verses 11 and 12. We'll read both verses and then I'll unpack them each for you. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. There, there's so much in these verses. First, notice in verse 11. Paul says, it is evident that no one is justified by works of law. Paul, how is it evident? Why should it be evident? Well, think about it. Verse 10, he's just stated this. As many are of works of law are under a curse. If you're trusting in the law of Moses to save you, if you're trusting in the Ten Commandments to save you, if you're trusting in any good deed to save you, Paul says, you are accursed. Because no one can keep the law to the degree that it demands. Therefore, verse 12, it is evident that no one is justified by works of law. Let's talk about that for a moment. Two weeks ago, you remember, I preached on justification. And we said two weeks ago that the verb to justify means to declare to be in the right. It's a verdict that God gives in the law court. He makes a verdict of guilty or not guilty. The verdict of guilty condemns. The verdict of not guilty justifies. What Paul says is actually quite radical in comparison with the Old Testament and other texts that he would have been familiar with. In the Old Testament, you find numerous statements that say things like this. The Lord judges the guilty and he justifies the righteous. The guilty person is the one who violates the law of the Lord. Just read Deuteronomy 25, for example. The righteous person is the one who obeys the law of the Lord. Notice what Paul has said. In light of God's revelation in Jesus Christ, in light of the fact that Paul has seen the vision of Jesus, he has now reinterpreted how the Old Testament should be understood in light of Christ. And Paul says, the law never brings about anyone's justification but rather only one's condemnation. Because, verse 11, the righteous one shall live by faith. Who's the righteous one? 
It's the one who's been justified by faith. This statement in verse, 12, uh, verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith, comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And in Habakkuk, Habakkuk is crying out to God, asking God, How long, O Lord, until you vindicate your people? How long, O Lord, until you make the wrongs right? And the Lord appeals to Habakkuk and he says, Those who are righteous shall live by faith. And Paul's point here is very simple. Those of us who have faith are the righteous. That is, we're justified and we'll live. Here's what he means. He doesn't mean we'll walk from day to day. That is true, but he means we will live eternally. The the one who is justified is the righteous one. And the one who is justified will live eternally by faith, not by law. Because the law condemns. And then he further wants to show you the difference between Christ and the law or faith, and the law in verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Now let's stop for a moment and think about this. Faith is never defined in the Bible as mere intellectual acquiescence. That is, the Bible does not simply say faith means you believe facts to be true. For example... The demons believe that Jesus is God, but they do not have faith. Remember those stories in the Gospels? When Jesus approached a demonic, possessed man, the demons would cry out and say, Jesus, we know who you are. You are the Holy Son of God. But they're not saved based on that information. Furthermore, James says that the demons believe that God is one, and they tremble. Faith is always, yes, agreeing with what the Bible says about God, and particularly about what it says about God in Christ, but giving yourself up to that belief to the point that you faithfully follow Jesus until you die. That is faith. So people who, for example, walk an aisle, pray a prayer, but never follow Jesus, they don't have faith. And Paul is saying here something very important. Faith and law are not the same thing. He's not arguing there was no law in the Old Testament. or There was no faith in the Old Testament. Certainly there was faith. Abraham had faith. Moses had faith. Joshua and Caleb had faith. But here's what he's saying. He's saying the law promises you life if you do it. The promise given to Abraham promises you life if you believe it. You see the difference? Leviticus 18.5, if you do all things written in the book of the law, you'll live. The promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. And through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham, Genesis 15.6, believed God, and it was reckoned to him. Is righteousness. So Paul is saying to these Gentile Christians who are thinking about walking away from Jesus and embracing Jewish identity, he says, do not embrace the law of Moses because you're already a child of faith. A few applications related to this truth. I have a few applications I want us to think about. Three exactly. Number one, all people 
want you to feel the weight of this. All people, even Jewish people, are condemned by the law if they don't have faith in Jesus Christ. You understand that? That is, by the way, why the gospel is a stumbling block to Jews. And that is why the, the gospel is foolishness to Gentiles. Because we tell people that you must place all of your faith not in your ethnic identity, not in your family, not in what you accomplish, but in this Jewish man who died and resurrected. That is scandalous. But it's nevertheless true. Galatians 2, verse 16, what does Paul say? He says, we're justified by faith in Christ, apart from the works of the law. There's not multiple ways of salvation for people. And you've got to understand this. Because we live in a culture where people recoil against the Christian idea that Jesus and Jesus alone saves. You need to own this. If you don't own it, you'll lose the gospel. There's no other, other name under heaven given among men whereby sinners can be saved only by the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. It doesn't matter what anybody says. Because the resurrection of Jesus proves He's the only way. Paul makes that point strong throughout Galatians. Second application. Everyone with faith in Christ is a member of God's family. You know, God promised to do something in Genesis 3.15. He promised to crush the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman after Adam and Eve sinned. And the means by which that happens is he blesses Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, and he promises also David to give him a descendant. And these promises to Abraham and these promises to David are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and every person from every tongue, every tribe, every people group will receive those promises by faith in Jesus. This is why we do missions, isn't it? is why we preach the gospel to anybody who will listen to us. Because this is not a, an American religion. This is God's plan of salvation for the world. This is why Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 8 that when God promised Abraham he would bless all the families of the earth through him, Paul says, God preached the gospel to Abraham. The gospel. And what's the gospel? Through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How's that possible? Because, Galatians 3.16, Jesus is the seed of Abraham. You understand that? Who's that descendant that God promised to fulfill these promises to? That descendant is Jesus, Galatians 3.16. If our gospel that we preach don't have Jesus, doesn't have Jesus at the center of it, we don't preach the gospel. Third application. Members of God's family should walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me, let me say it this way. Those who have faith in Jesus should fight, fight, fight against sin. You fight against sin? Let me tell you something. Some of you all in here are new believers. Congratulations. You ju you've just joined a war. 
This is a battle. And quite frankly, the battle never stops until you're in the casket. And if you are walking in the Spirit, you know what you're doing? You're fighting against sin. Young people, you're tempted to do drugs or have sex before you're married. You fight against that sin with the gospel. Because you you belong to the family of God. And those who belong to the family of God have the Spirit, and all who have the Spirit obey the gospel. You don't even have to pray about it. Should I sin or should I not? You don't even have to pray about it. And when you sin, you repent. You fight. Third point. First point, the law condemns everybody. Second point, the law justifies no one. Third point, Christ died to redeem us from the curse of the law. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us. We'll read 13 and 14 and then I'll walk through them together with you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Several things in this verse, in these verses we could talk about, but let me highlight, let me highlight a few of them. First, notice Paul says, Christ redeemed us. It's not by accident he calls Jesus the Christ. Paul has a mission in this letter. He wants to show these Galatians who are thinking about walking away from Jesus and embracing Jewish identity to gain entrance into God's family. But Paul is making a twofold argument. Number one, he's arguing that the promises that God gave to the nations are fulfilled by means of Jesus, who is the child of Abraham, whom God promised. And then secondly, the promise that God gave to David in 2 Samuel 12, 7, verses 12-14 is also fulfilled in Jesus because Jesus is the Christ. David, remember, was a king. He was promised to have a descendant, a seed, whose kingdom would never end. Solomon was not that man. He failed, and his kingdom dramatically ended. But Jesus comes along, and he succeeds where Solomon failed. And Jesus is identified in Galatians 3.16 as the seed of Abraham, and in Galatians 3.13 as the Christ, to emphasize everything these Gentiles want, They already have in Jesus. They don't need the law of Moses to give them this Jewish stuff. Secondly, notice Paul says, Christ, the Messiah, redeemed us from the curse of the law. This language of redemption does something very powerful. It recalls the narrative of the Exodus. Remember that story? Israel was in slavery. God wiped out Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. Israel crosses the Red Sea. They look back. They see the bodies dead on the seashore. In Exodus 15, Israel praises God for redeeming, purchasing, liberating them from Pharaoh and his army. Paul is drawing from that language to emphasize something very important, that a new and greater Exodus has come. You understand that? 
a new and greater deliverance has come. The deliverance of God out of out of, is, out of Egypt, of God's people, Israel. That deliverance was great, but Jesus' deliverance of sinners is far greater. Christ liberated us, redeemed us, and notice, by the way, liberated us. <laughs> Remember, Paul is Jewish, right? And he's writing to Gentiles. The Jewish Messiah, not the law of Moses, the Jewish Messiah liberated Jews and Gentiles from the law's curse. That's racial reconciliation, baby. You feel that? That's what that is. This is an equal opportunity gospel. It redeems all people who believe. So why in the world would you want to do anything to earn your way to heaven? when you're under a curse outside of faith in Christ. A couple other things that's worth noting here. Notice Paul says further in verse 13 that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law condemns us. And by the way, when the law condemns you, God's condemning you. God's condemning you. The law represents God. And Jesus liberated us from the curse of the law. How so? Verse 13, by becoming a curse for us. It's very important. On the cross, Jesus represents us, and he substitutes for us. He takes upon himself the judgment that we deserved so that we could escape the judgment, you see. And the only reason why God receives His substitute is because Jesus is actually keeping the law without fail. So then we are liberated from the law's curse if we have faith in Jesus Christ. Now Paul gives you an Old Testament citation here in verse 13. Cites Deuteronomy 21-23. And he says this, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's an interesting statement. Because if you read this verse in the context of Deuteronomy, it refers to those who violated the law, who are then hanged upon a tree as a spectacle for those in the community to see. In other words, everybody in the Jewish community during the day of Moses would know clearly The man or woman you see hanging on a tree is cursed by God because they disobeyed his law. Paul applies this verse to crucifixion. He's one of three authors who does this. Nobody else does it in the Bible besides Paul, but there are some other Jewish authors who do this. And he's doing something here very important for you to understand. He is telling you that the curse of the tree in the Old Testament is, points to a greater curse, a greater judgment, the judgment of God on the back of His Son, Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus? Well, that's why. He literally bore the law's judgment. The question with which I'll close in verse 14 is this. Why? Why did He redeem us? Well, he gives us an answer in verse 14. Now, notice the context. Verse 13, 
Christ redeemed us. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us. Christ liberated us. Christ freed us. Christ emancipated us. Christ bought us from the law's curse. Here's why. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Notice that ethnic language there. Abraham was a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish technically. But he's the father of the Jewish people. Isaac, his grandchild, was called, or excuse me, Jacob, his grandchild, was called Israel. From Israel comes Israelites. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and he raised from the dead to fulfill the blessing of Abraham to bring that to the Gentiles. Now notice verse 14. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see how Paul is linking himself with these Gentiles? Notice that? Both Jews and Gentiles were under the curse. And both Jews and Gentiles received the blessing as a result of the death of Jesus Christ. Here's really what I think Paul is saying. All of the promises of God given to Abraham in Genesis and reiterated in other parts of the Old Testament to David and elsewhere, all of those promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham and the seed of David. How do you know that, Paul? Because God's poured out His Spirit. That's how. So you remember Joel chapter 2. In the book of Joel, God promises that there would be a day when whoever, whoever anyone calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that day will be a day when men and women will receive the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 2, what happens, right? The Spirit of God, after the resurrection, comes down from heaven and fills the church, and they preach the gospel to whom? Jews only know, to Jews and Gentiles. And Peter quotes Joel chapter 2, and he tells the people who are listening, we're speaking and you understand, not because we're drunk, but because God has raised Jesus from the dead. And He's poured out His Spirit on all flesh. Brothers and sisters, all the promises of God in Jesus Christ has been fulfilled. Have been fulfilled. So we don't need any other gospel. A few applications and then I'm done. Number one, I'm going to give you all six of these applications. Because this is my last Sunday here. I cheated the first service. I only gave them three. I'm going to give you all six applications. Very quickly. One. God fulfills His promises to Abraham to bless the nations by justifying Jews and Gentiles by faith in Christ. What's the last image you see of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew? He says to His, his Jewish disciples, go into all the nations, Right? God fulfills the promises through Jesus. Second, Jewish and Gentile Christians have the same Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to understand this. There is not a black Holy Spirit or a white Holy Spirit or an Asian Holy Spirit or an Hispanic Holy Spirit or a rich Holy Spirit or a poor Holy Spirit or an American Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. There's one God, one Father, one Christ, and one Spirit who's displayed to all people who believe in Jesus. One Spirit. And if we have the Spirit, guess what we are? Like it or not, we're family. <laughs> Maybe dysfunctional, but we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is this. It's not as though our ethnic identities are erased. They're still apparent, aren't they? 
The beauty is, in spite of that, we're still family. That's what the gospel does. Third application. God sent Jesus to become a Jewish man so that he would reconcile Jews and Gentiles to God and to each other. Understand something. Jesus did not become a God. God the Son became Jesus the Jewish man. You understand the difference? God the Son, before there was a Jewish man walking around in Galilee, God the Son was in the beginning, John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But God the Son became Jesus the Jewish man in order to fulfill those promises that God gave to Abraham and to David and elsewhere in the Old Testament for the world. Fourth application. I've already stated it, but I want to state it again. Racial identity, social identity, political identity, all of those identities, whatever your identity is, they're transformed by the gospel. Transformed. Which means every single thing about who you are needs to be interpreted through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your gospel identity must be the lens through which you view the world. Otherwise, it's not going to be clear to the world that you belong to the family of God. Fifth application. Maybe some of you here this morning are like the Galatians. You were thinking of, you're thinking about walking away from Jesus. You're on the edge, perhaps. You've been overwhelmed by the reality that the Christian life is not always a life of happiness. It's not. And maybe you're thinking about turning away from Jesus to another gospel. Let me warn you, as Paul warned the Galatians, if you walk away from Jesus, you have no promise of eternal life, right? Galatians 5.21 So hear me, Christian. Christian who's thinking about walking away from Jesus. You become spiritually lethargic. Don't walk away. Run to Jesus. Flee to Him. Fight. Fight for your faith and for your joy. Be involved in the life of the local church. You know, one sign, one sign that people aren't doing well spiritually is they stop being involved in the life of the church. Don't do that. Be involved in the life of the local church church. Life will come. Eternal life will come for all who follow Jesus until the end. And finally, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. The promises of God given to Abraham and fulfilled in Jesus Christ can only be yours if you follow Jesus. There is no plan B. That's it. God offered up His Son one time to die, and He raised them from the dead one time. And if you want to inherit the promise of eternal life and all that goes along with that, you must turn away from your sin today. You must embrace the cross and the resurrection, and you must follow Jesus until you die. Will you do that if you're not a Christian? Brothers and sisters, I hope you're encouraged. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are...
thankful for the power of the gospel. We are thankful of the work that you've done in Jesus Christ. And we pray that this morning you would renew our hearts and minds in the truth of the gospel. And that you would help us to embrace the reality that God in Christ has brought in some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation to be your people by faith. So Father, help us to be part of that story as we live in community with each other and as we live in faithful obedience to the gospel. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.